This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. My name is Will Chester. I'm the youth and college pastor here at Church of the Resurrection, and it's so good to be with you this morning. 22 straight playoff appearances, five NBA championships, almost 1,500 wins, a lifetime winning percentage of 673, perhaps could end this season as the winningest coach of all time. That is Greg Popovich, coach of the San Antonio Spurs basketball team. And a couple of years ago, a reporter asked him, you know, Pop, with all of these accomplishments, what's your legacy? What's your legacy going to be? And Pop laughed and said, my legacy? My legacy, probably food and wine. My legacy is food and wine. See, Pop on the court, Pop is legendary for having this incredible intensity. He gets right up into the faces of some of the greatest athletes on the planet and tells them exactly what they're doing wrong, exactly all the ways they're not measuring up. But off the court, Pop is legendary for his hospitality, for his generosity, and players and restaurants around the country know him for this. So it started when he was a college coach, when he didn't have much money. He made sure that his team ate together every game day. That was really important to him, that they always ate dinner together. And then when they'd go to some you know, far off place, they'd go to New Orleans for a tournament or something, he would make sure that the whole team had at least one memorable meal while they were there. So now Pop you know, is on a multi-million dollar salary, he makes $11 million a year. And he is still known for taking his team to the nicest restaurants in the country. He plans out every detail. He plans out all the food, where everybody's going to sit. He knows the wine list better than the best sommeliers in the country. Everyone gets fed, from the players to the coaching staff, even the players' families, if they happen to be traveling along. And you might wonder, like, who pays for all of this? when some of these plates cost over $300 a pop? And the answer is Coach Pop. Coach Pop pays for it every single time. If a former Spurs player happens to be in the same restaurant at the same time, Coach Pop pays for them. It's become a game with these players, so they try to find out, like Steve Kerr, you know, the Golden State Warriors basketball coach, he's one of these guys. He tries to figure out where the Spurs are eating so he can sneak in and show up and, and without fail, Pop figures it out and buys their meal. Some people think that Pop spends over a million dollars a year on food and wine. But the results speak for themselves. Players talk about the incredible team chemistry on the Spurs, chemistry that only comes through deep friendships. And they say it's rare to make this kind of deep friendship with, with your teammates, your coworkers, essentially. You only build those kind of friendships after spending long, long hours together eating meals where you have unstructured time just to be together. And so here's how the Spurs general manager summarizes this. He says to Coach Pop, food and wine aren't just food and wine. To Coach Pop, food and wine are a vehicle to make and sustain connection. Meals as a vehicle to make and sustain connection. That would be a good way to summarize what the Bible says about meals. 
what the Bible says about a God who uses food to make and sustain a connection with his people. And so this morning, our gospel text is this miraculous feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And you have Bibles in front of you. I encourage you to get that out because we'll, we'll come back to it later. Jesus and his disciples, they're out in the wilderness in the Galilean hillside. He's looking out at this huge crowd of people, and Jesus asks this really odd question. Where are we going to buy enough bread for all of these people to eat? And it's odd because it's not like this is like a wedding or something where they've come expecting that a meal is going to be provided. He doesn't have to do this. And more than that, I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere. It's not even like there's a place close by where he could get food for them, even if he wanted to. So what's Jesus doing here? Why is he taking it upon himself to feed all of these people? Why is it so important for Jesus to play the role of host? And what I want us to see this morning is that what Jesus is doing is actually, it should be quite familiar to his Jewish followers because Jesus is doing exactly what his father has always done for his people, using meals to make and sustain a connection. So let's look at this story in the Hebrew scriptures before coming back to John 6, God meeting his people through food. Meals, were, meals weren't just meals. They were where the identity of the people of God was, was confirmed, where it was defined. So think about your own family culture for a minute. Think about the family that you grew up in or the family that you have now. If I were to ask you, tell me about your family, describe them to me. At some point in the conversation, you would probably tell me about what your family does for Thanksgiving, what your family does on Christmas Eve and Christmas, how your family celebrates Easter and, and July 4th and Memorial Day and Labor Day weekend. You'd tell me about these meals because that's where the, your family culture kind of reaches its apex. That's where you really understand what your family is about, the traditions that happen there. And the same is true for the people of God. God commands his people to feast. He commands them to celebrate, to remember who they are. And so the chief celebration, of course, was the Passover, where they remember, the Israelites remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And in celebrating this meal, they remember, this is our identity. This is what we're about. This is how our God takes care of us. And like other religions in the world, there was more to it. There was this sacrificial system where it was assumed that you would give food offerings to God. That was really common in the ancient Near East with one very important difference. You see, for these other gods, the expectation is that you need to give them food because otherwise they will get hangry. You guys familiar with hangriness? I mean, this is Lent after all. If you're practicing any kind of fasting, you've, you've probably become accustomed to hangriness. Hangry, so you're, you're hungry, and so you're ir irritable, and so you get angry. That's what these gods would do. If you didn't feed them, they might, they might get angry with you. They might not give you their blessing. But the God of the Hebrews was really clear. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I don't get hungry like they do. In Psalm 50, God says, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No. For the world and all its fullness are mine. 
He doesn't need food like the other gods need food. No, in fact, in the Hebrew scriptures, the dominant theme is not of the people feeding God, but it's of God feeding his people. And again, nowhere is that more clear than in this Exodus story that the Passover remembers. So if you're not familiar with the Exodus, you know, this is, this is the story of, you know, Prince of Egypt, where God rescues his people from slavery under Pharaoh through the prophet Moses, you know, using the, the ten plagues, guiding them through the Red Sea on dry land. This is the climactic event in the, people of, in the Jewish people's lives, in their history. And in that story, it's the people who are the ones who get hangry. And so a few days after crossing the Red Sea, just three days later, the people complain, we don't have enough water to drink. And so what does God do? God miraculously provides water for them. And then a month and a, a, month and a half later, they get hangry again, and they say, God, we don't have any food to eat. And again, God miraculously provides food. He sends this kind of bread that falls from the sky, from the heavens, bread that they called manna, which literally means, what is it? What is it that falls from the sky? And Psalm 78 recalls this event and says, man ate the bread of angels. Man ate the bread of angels. God sent them food in abundance. That's the kind of God he is. God sent them food in abundance. So then hundreds of years later, when the people of God are looking forward at what is going to be the worst moment in their lives, when they would be exiled from their land, taken off into a foreign country, they're looking ahead at that. There's a prophet who remembers the God of grace. He remembers this God of abundance. And he looks forward to a time when God won't just feed his people again, but when God will feed the whole world. So this is the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. I mean, this is a Coach Pop Michelin three-star kind of feast. And on that same day, he will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. When Isaiah looks forward, when he sees the end of the story, where all of this is heading, when he sees the day that God makes everything that's wrong right again, when Isaiah sees that, he sees food. He sees a feast, a meal that God provides for his people, because this is who God is. Yahweh is the God of abundance. He's a consummate host. He's the owner of every field and mountain, able to bring out food from wherever he chooses, establishing relationship and connection with his people. That's the background to the story that we read today. This feeding of the 5,000 story, it's not just like a cutesy miracle where God, you know, where Jesus provides lunch or dinner for all of these people. But this story is, is coming at, you know, after all of this background to say this is who God is. And you know what? This is who Jesus is. 
Jesus does the same things because Jesus is the perfect image of his heavenly Father. So let's turn now to John 6. Where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? That's what Jesus asks in verse 5. And again, it's an interesting question because this question is coming from a man who is, by his own admission, homeless and quite poor. Why is he taking it on himself to feed everybody? This isn't like Coach Pop, who's got $11 million to work with every year. Furthermore, they're out in the wilderness. They're on some random mountain. You know, if somebody's in your house, you feel like, okay, I have a responsibility to make sure that they're fed. I have a responsibility to make sure that they they can put their feet up, that they know where to hang their jacket. But if you're out in the woods, I mean, it's kind of every man for himself, right? Like, you don't feel a responsibility to make sure everybody eats. But Jesus doesn't think like that. Jesus feels the need to play the host. Where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? And perhaps that's because even though he's the son of man who has no place to lay his head, he is also the one through whom this whole earth was created. It all belongs to him. And so even in the wilderness, you are still a guest in his house. Even in the wilderness, he feels a responsibility to make sure that you get what you need. Where are we going to buy bread? It's a logistical question, but it's also an existential question. It's a question that all of us experience within ourselves at one time or another. Because we feel in ourselves the same realities that are in this story, that this world is one of limited resources. There's only so much to go around. And we feel that we are people of limited capacity. We're limited by time. We're limited by space. We're limited by money. We're limited by the connections that we have. We're limited by our past and the choices we've made and the choices others have made. And sometimes we look at our situation and we just feel stuck. We feel like the answer is impossible. So the question that Jesus is asking here, where are we going to buy bread? This is like, given my circumstances, given what I can see, how is there going to be enough to go around? What are we going to do? How do we solve this problem? Kind of like, how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to provide for my family? Can we really afford to add another child? I mean, these are the deep, heart-wrenching questions of life. Who's going to take care of her when I'm gone? Will it always be this hard? Will I always feel so alone? These questions, they keep us up at night. And what they all have in common is our utter inability to answer them. We feel stuck. I've got nothing. Sometimes we just do not know how it is that we're going to be okay. Psalm 78 puts it like this. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Think about that. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Can God provide even in a place that feels God forsaken? We'll come back to that. Verse 3, it says that the Passover was at hand. 
Remember the Passover, the feast celebrating the Exodus story. John uses imagery from the Exodus throughout this whole chapter to say that what God did then in providing food for his people, he's doing now through Jesus Christ. In fact, the Passover comes up three times in John's gospel. It's really important. Once in the, in the passage that Matt talked about last week with the cleansing of the temple, that's the first Passover. The second in our passage here today. And the third, the one that we're looking forward to in Holy Week, where Jesus himself is the Passover lamb. Jesus asked the disciples where to buy bread, and Philip answers, perhaps because Philip's hometown of Bethsaida, it's actually nearby. But Philip is less concerned with where are we going to buy bread than how. How are we going to buy bread? 200 denarii, that's equivalent to 200 days' wages. 200 days' wages wouldn't even be enough to give everybody a little bit of food. But perhaps... Philip should have known better. Philip should have known better because Jesus isn't the first to phrase a question like this. When the Hebrews were in the wilderness, the great prophet Moses in Numbers 11 asked a similar question. Where am I to get meat to feed all of these people? And miraculously, God provided meat. And then Andrew, who's also from this area, he jumps into the conversation. He's done a little bit of research. He says, look, I went down to the beach. There are no falafel stands. Okay, so that option's out. No fast food. And uh, I asked around, and apparently none of these 5,000 people remembered to bring a lunch. So there's that. But there is a little boy who remembered five barley loaves and two dried fish. But of course, as Andrew says, what are they for so many? And perhaps Andrew, he should have known better too, because barley bread doesn't come up a whole lot in the Bible, but there's one significant place that it does come up. 2 Kings chapter 4. Long ago, there's a famine in the land, and the prophet Elisha, is with about a hundred other prophets, his followers. They've got nothing to eat. And then a guy shows up out of nowhere. And he says, hey, here's 20 barley loaves. And so Elisha gives these loaves of barley, barley bread, gives them to his servant and says, hey, make sure everybody gets some. And the servant says, these aren't enough. These aren't enough to feed everybody. And Elisha says, ah, do it anyways. And then what happens? Miraculously, everybody eats. And at the end of the day, there's more barley bread left over. You see, John is crafting this story intentionally to highlight that just like the Exodus when God fed his people, just like with Elisha when God fed his people, God is here through Jesus feeding his people once again. Jesus doing the very same things he's seen his father doing. So in verse 10, Jesus tells the people to sit down. And John writes, Now there was much grass in the place. It's springtime. It makes you think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And after they sit down, somehow in the span of a single verse, the miracle happens. If you blink, you'll miss it. Verse 11 Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. 
so also the fish. All of the focus of the verse is on Jesus. All of it's on Jesus, but there's no explanation of how the miracle happens. How did so few loaves and fish become so many? We don't know. But this miracle was significant. This is the only miracle that shows up in all four Gospels. Four independent testimonies to the reality and the significance of Jesus feeding his people. And it's a picture of abundance. At the end of verse 11, everyone ate as much as they wanted. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Can God set a table in the wilderness? Yes. He can and he does. Jesus is the perfect image of his Father. He is not bound by time and money and energy and resources like we are. He can do the impossible. He can make sure that his people get what they need. Amen. And this morning, you might be in a wilderness. You might be in a wilderness wondering how in the world you're going to get out. You might be in the wilderness of a failing marriage. You might be stuck in an unresolved conflict. You might be experiencing a painful illness. You might be living with a mental health issue. You might be living with an unmet longing. You might be living with unanswered prayers. And in that wilderness, you might wonder, where is God in all of this? Well, this story has your answer. God is a God of abundant generosity. He is a God who might test you like he tested his disciples, like he tested Philip and Andrew. He might test you. He might allow you to hunger, but his character is the same as it has always been from the very beginning. He is a gracious host, and you are his guests, even in the wilderness, and he will make sure that you get what you need. We'll end here. In the early days of the church, when resources were scarce, when their fears were high, the early church would meet in these catacombs, you know, cemeteries, crypts, far beneath the ground. And on the walls, they would paint this scene. On the walls, they would make a mosaic of this scene, a basket of bread and fish. Because what the early church saw was the sign that John and Jesus meant for them to see that the heavenly manna that fell from the sky, the feeding of the 5,000, all of that is a picture of this. All of that is a picture of the miracle that happens every Sunday morning when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate this miraculous heavenly bread in the wilderness, and they died. But I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Jesus is still meeting his people 
through bread and wine. He didn't just feed them back then. In fact, he's not even just feeding us today, but he feeds us for eternal life. There is never a day that we will not rely completely, 100% for our sustenance on the life of Jesus. There will never be a day in all of eternity that we are not wholly dependent on him. And there will never be a day in all of eternity that his character is not gracious and open and welcoming towards us, giving us everything that we need. His legacy forever is bread and wine. Bread and wine to remind you of his character, that he is a God of abundance. Bread and wine to remind you of his own experience of testing. When he held the cup of his own suffering, when his, when his sweat dropped like blood to the ground. Bread and wine to remind you of his sacrifice, his body and blood given for you and for me. Bread and wine to remind you of what's ahead when you and I will feast with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb and death and sorrow will be no more. And finally, bread and wine this morning to sustain you in the wilderness, to sustain you in whatever wilderness you are now experiencing as he brings us to the promised land. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.